Welcome to the Monday Morning Critic. Today we have a special guest. This is episode 27. He is senior DFS editor, analyst, author of the DFS playbook for 4 for 4. Chris Rabin, how are you doing, my friend? What's going on, man? Happy to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah, Chris, I'm psyched to have you on. You know, I know a lot of the guys in my fantasy league and fantasy leagues around the country, they go to you know, the usual sources, and that's fine. i got to tell you, I've, I've been using your stuff, and I... You know, I've been doing pretty well, and I'm really confident in you. But before we get to all that, uh, Chris, give me a background on on yourself and and how you ended up in this situation of kind of giving you know helping people on a daily basis with their lineups and their in their fantasy leagues. How how did you get to this point? Man, it was kind of an unpredictable ride. If you asked me a few years ago, even if I would be doing this right now, I don't think I could have told you it or even predicted it. I started playing fantasy probably by accident when I was when I was a kid, maybe under ten years old, maybe about eight nine years old. I used, I was just really into football, and I would buy all the magazines. This was pre internet, and one day I accidentally got a magazine that wasn't just the NFL preview magazine. It was a fantasy preview magazine, and I read it and I thought it was pretty cool. But I didn't really have anyone to play with. Um, but started playing fantasy over the years. Eventually, just went to you know went to college, became an accountant. And, uh, you know, like everyone at their nine-to-five jobs, as a person in their early to mid-20s, I was just kind of passing the time, looking at some fantasy stuff one day, and I came across an article on Number Fire, and I sent them an email uh, disputing one of, the, one of their takes. I think it was something about Bob Bradshaw not being a good running back, and that, that would be a reason that Andrew Luck wasn't going to have a good season or something ridiculous. And I, I just sent it in, and J.J. Zacharyson, who is uh, the late the author of Late Round QB, another pretty popular uh, fantasy analyst, happened to be the editor at that time, and he, he his hand got on my email, and he kind of said, "Hey, you want to come? Want to come write for it?" Mm. I didn't even have a Twitter handle at that point, and uh, started writing for him. Eventually, just caught on. The other sites started asking me to write for them, and about. I think it was 2015, uh, Josh Moore, who owns 4 for 4, essentially made me an offer. He said, hey, you want to come on and we need a DFS product. You know, 4 for 4 is killing it. Um, one of my favorite sites, just going back, um, just because they had really, really good projections, which are pretty much the most important thing in fantasy. And um, said, hey, you know, this daily fantasy thing is really catching on. We need to have a DFS product. Come on board full time. Let's, let's do it. Let's create it, and um, been doing it ever since. Yeah, man, I gotta tell you. I mean, I'm not. I'm not just saying this. I went. I went. I'm so happy that people from Four for Four, you know, kind of got in contact with us because I really want. I've, I've wanted you on for a while now. Um, you're my. You're my favorite by a mile. I know there's other people that use, like I said, use other sources. Um, I can vouch for what you bring to the table. So let me say, your research is amazing, man. I'm going to tell you the, the, the amount of depth that I that I get from picking up on your articles. How much time are you putting in a week? Oh, it, you know, it really varies. I mean, now during the season, probably, I'm probably putting in, I'd say, 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, wow. I'm, it's pretty much fancy all day from sunup to sundown because, August especially is just grind season. Everybody wants the content. Everybody wants the sleepers. You got to keep up with what's going on in camp and preseason and average draft position. And, and there's DFS, uh, daily fantasy preseason um, to play. So 
there's a lot going on right now. Um, I do a lot of things behind the scenes as well, um, just with four for four editing wise and and marketing wise and things like that. So I'm I'm doing a lot. Of, I'm doing a lot of things. Um, but the research. But the thing about it is, it's fun. It's you know I couldn't have asked for anything more. Mm. I, it's my full time job. I work remote, so I literally just get to wake up in my pajamas <laughs> and walk over to my computer and start doing some football research. I couldn't ask for anything. More. Yeah, man. Very, very cool. Um, let me ask you. So before I get into a couple things here, um, it, I know you do DFS, but do you? So if I want to like find out information on my fantasy league, can I? Can, I, I can absolutely read your your stuff. Can can I? If I, if I'm the average fan and I want to see what you have to oh, say, go ahead. I'm sorry. Of course, man. I actually, I actually just came out with an article, and it's called uh, Three Key Facts About Every NFL Team's Offense. If you guys go to my uh, Twitter handle at Chris Rabon, you can find it pretty easily. But it essentially is just 96 facts or three facts per team, uh, just about uh, the players on their team and their tendencies and things that you can use to really get an edge in your draft. Every every single fact is meant to either say, hey, this player is overvalued in fantasy or this player is undervalued. So, for example, I talk about uh, Cam Newton and the fact that he might not be running as much uh, this season and things like that and just – uh, players that are overvalued, undervalued. So definitely, you can you can check it out for if you're the average fan. I tweet just pretty much all day about just players and draft positions and stats and things like that. So and anytime you guys tune in, you'll probably find something useful. Whether you're a, a fantasy player, regular a DFS, dynasty, whatever you're doing, you'll find something. Yeah, that's great stuff, man. You got me. <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you talk about fantasy sports. Our draft is in two weeks. Chris, let me run some words by you um, and, and explain what these mean just to some people who might not know. Chris, what does DFS mean? That is daily fantasy sports. It's something that's relatively new, also something that got a bad rap in the uh, in the media at one point. Um, they just kind of really heavily went at it with commercials. Um, but it's actually just one of the coolest things, especially if you're into fantasy um, because you essentially can just make as many lineups as you want uh, with any players that you want and play as much as you want uh, any pretty much any time. You know, there's, in addition to football, there's every other sport. So if you just wanted to get your fantasy fixed, pretty much every day you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can play for money if you want. There's, there's free leagues, but if you want to play for, for a few bucks, you can do that. If you want to play for a few thousand bucks, you can do that. I think it's pretty much one of the most awesome things that's ever been invented. Uh, Chris, what is the term, and I know what they mean, but like I said, I kind of want to clarify some of these terms because people might not know. What does the term stack mean? Stack. So that's a DFS or a daily fantasy concept where you're, because in daily fantasy, it's a salary cap league. So you have a certain salary cap. Every player is priced uh, pretty much according to their past production, um, kind of just like if, you, if you're a regular fantasy player, it's kind of like average draft position, like the, the players in the first round are going to have the highest salaries and whatnot, and because you can have access to any player in your lineup, you can essentially put multiple players from the same team into your lineup. So, for example, if I like, let's say, the Cardinals in week one this season against the Lions, I can say, hey, I'm, I'm going to put Carson Palmer, David Johnson, and Larry Fitzgerald in my lineup and mm. hope that 
maybe DJ runs in a couple, and or maybe Palmer hits him for a touchdown, and then Palmer also hits Fitzgerald for a touchdown or two. And then I just have all of these correlated points in my lineup. And if I'm playing in something like a tournament where it, maybe only the top 10 or 15% of entrants win money, but they win a lot more money, so I want some upside, I, I'm, I'm willing to take some risk and get some correlations going, um, I'd use a stack. Uh, man, you are you are you are so thought out. I, I absolutely love this, Chris. Talk about the concept of a ceiling. A ceiling is essentially the uh, best case scenario for, in this case, and what we're talking about, it would just be the best case scenario for a uh, an athlete in in, a, in a sport. So, if you're talking about re- regular season fantasy, it's just. What is the highest um, possible amount of fantasy points that a player could score? Or you could you could even use it to refer to a specific stat. So, for example, Aaron Rodgers, you know, his career high in touchdowns is 45, I believe. You know, last year he had 38. So, you know, what's Aaron Rodgers' touchdown ceiling? It's probably about, I don't know, the high 40s, maybe even 50. Um, so that's kind of what you do. And then for daily fantasy, it's the same thing. You're just kind of looking at it uh, on a single-game basis only. So you're looking at a player and saying, does this guy have a 100-yard ceiling? Does he have a two-touchdown, three-touchdown ceiling? Mm. Things like that. And in fantasy, you're really looking for those ceilings because a lot of times your your odds of winning are always going to be, um, you know, they're not, they're, they're not going to be 50-50 really unless you're playing in a, in a head-to-head matchup in a daily fantasy league. Like if you're just playing in an average fantasy draft, if you and nine of your friends, you have a 10% chance to win starting out so you need to kind of take some uh get yourself exposed to some to some ceilings and some upside and there's risk that comes with that but that's how you win you don't want to just finish in fourth place and have an above average team so you, you should be really concerned with you know, the same goes for just everyday life um you don't want to just kind of play it safe your whole life you know people talk about you know when they're on their deathbed it's about the things that they didn't do that they regret the most so um you know whether it's fantasy football or just life in general you just gotta aim for those high ceilings. Yeah, well said, Chris. And let, let me—you talk about ceiling. Um, and I have two other terms I want to ask you. But before I bring those up, my man, you are writing for Sports Illustrated now. Talk about getting to your ceiling. I think you're doing. You just said it perfectly. You are doing it as a person as well. You're 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 preaching it and you're living it. Yeah, I mean, I can't really take credit for that. Uh, that's just kind of because of the overall um, product that 4 for 4 has consistently put out over the years. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of work uh, partnering with them, and I'm just lucky enough to, to, to be playing a major role in it. Yeah, I mean, 4 for 4 is phenomenal, but I'm going to tell you, Chris, you're a big part of that. I, I, all those guys are great. They, they have some awesome stuff. Um, but i got to say, personally, just for me, it's the only source I go to, but you're of that source. You're the guy I gravitate to, so that speaks volumes about what kind of, you know, guy you are and what you know about this sport. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Let me ask you. So, there's two other terms I wanted to ask you, and, and I feel silly here because you just described ceiling. So, a floor would be what? Just the exact opposite. It's the worst case scenario in in a daily fantasy league. That's usually just going to be essentially zero points for most players, but um, you have some players where, for example, a guy like Le'Veon Bell or, or Antonio Brown, 
their floors are pretty high. In every single game, you know Le'Veon Bell is probably going to touch the ball at least 20 times, mm. probably going to get close to 100 yards, and Antonio Brown is going to catch probably at least five passes. So, same thing, season-long level, same thing. You're just kind of looking at it. You know, Drew Brees, he's thrown 30 two touchdowns every year since the Obama administration started. <laughs> so his floor is probably some, something like 30 touchdowns. Um, so it's the same thing. It's just that's more about minimizing risk. And there's definitely time for that, especially early in regular fantasy draft, the first four or five rounds maybe. You definitely want to uh, keep that floor high because everyone's going to pretty much have a high ceiling when they're going that high in the fantasy draft. So you really want to avoid those busts, avoid those guys in the, in the early rounds that just think your whole team. And guys like Adrian Peterson last year when we saw the writing on the wall a little bit. He was aging, and yet he was still going in the top five in a lot of drafts. So a guy like that you know, ended up struggling, getting hurt, coming back, getting hurt again. So, so that's really a floor. Yeah, and, and let me ask you, uh, Chris, in these DFS tournaments, you know, when I've played, you're not only picking what you think is the best lineup, you, but it, it, especially if you're in a tournament, you want to pick, you want to play that not, what's the word I'm looking for, that, the, the play that nobody's looking at, that maybe that, the, 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 the deceiving play that, yes, there you go, that's the one, and that's, you're almost playing against yourself in that way, and you're playing against other people, would you agree with that? DFS, and tell me if I'm wrong, it's one of the DFS um, companies is offering if you can pick a, you know, the highest points per position, I think they're offering like a billion dollars, am I right with that? Yeah, 
you're correct. DraftKings. What what, what is what are, what are the chances of hitting that? Honestly, Chris. The chances are less than the amount of um, revenue that they thought offering that contest would be. So whatever they, whatever their algorithm calculated as the probability of somebody actually hitting that, and then they obviously had to buy insurance for it. Um, you know, whatever they calculated, it's, it's 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 less than that. So it's, it's a very small chance, but. And when you have that's a situation where there's zero downside and a billion dollar upside, those are the exact situation where you want to get exposure to, and you all that's the exact situations where you want to think outside the box, think a little contrarian, because you're going up against a bunch of people, and if you tie, you know you're you're probably if you tie, it's probably not a good sign. Uh, because that probably just means a bunch of other people also thought just like you and you're splitting that billion dollars a bunch of ways. But if you just kind of come out of nowhere, like I think they posted the, the perfect lineup from last year in week one. And, you know, there were some guys that you would expect, but there was also Jack Doyle, the tight end. And he was at the time, I believe he was the second string tight end of the Indianapolis Colts. And he caught two touchdowns and he was minimum price on absolutely nobody's radar. Wow. So that just shows you how, you know, if, that, if they were running that contest last year, you would have had to pick him. And that just shows you how you have to think outside the box because the eight other players in the lineup were pretty predictable. So, you know, I think some people say, oh, well, fantasy's all walk or something like that, where it's really not. Um, there's a lot of people that are really good at, at predicting and forecasting the results of of professional sports games, namely uh, the biggest odds makers for one, because over the long term, they're beating everybody who bets. So um, they, it can be done, but there are times where you're going to have to kind of think out the box. It's kind of like a barbell strategy, which is something that Nassim Tlaib talks about as well. And barbell strategy is essentially you you want to, instead of kind of taking the middle ground sometimes, you want to go to both extremes. So in the, in the case of the perfect lineup, it's uh, you know you don't have to go and then get all these, uh, pick all these kind of, uh, players out of left field, you probably want most of the players in the lineup to be guys that uh, a lot of other people would pick and, and guys that have a good chance of scoring the most points. But you want at least one or two guys at the same time that maybe nobody's going to pick. And that's kind of how you have to think about uh, these DFS tournaments. That's kind of how you have to think about uh, life in general. Right, man. And i got to tell you, you are, the, in my opinion, the king of the outside-the-box thinkers when it comes to football. Um, I love listening to you. You're very philosophical, and I absolutely love that. I have one wor- one term left for you, and then we can get into the good stuff. What does GPP mean? I, I want. I-, I really. Every time I hear this that that term, I think of Naughty by Nature, and, and I got to smack myself in the head. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, GPP is just another name for a tournament. It's just, the, the acronym stands for Guaranteed Prize Pool, and the reason that that is called as such is because. In, in DFS tournaments, if for some reason a contest, maybe let's say a 50-50 contest, which is just you know the top half of entrants uh, get paid, if that contest doesn't fill for some reason, which doesn't happen often because so many people play DFS, but if a contest weren't to fill, you would just they would just refund your entry fee and they wouldn't run the contest. But a guaranteed prize pool is essentially it's DFS money makers for them. It's their biggest tournaments and it gets the most uh, attracts the most users. So what they do is essentially they guarantee that no matter what, even if it doesn't fill for some reason, um, it would 
run. So let's say I'm entering a tournament and it's guaranteed, but only it's only eighty percent full. But they're still going to pay out the same number of of, uh, of entrance, and they're still going to pay out the same amount of money. But now I have a, essentially a, a much greater chance of winning because I'm competing against twenty percent less people than I would normally if the contest is built. So. That's all that uh, GPP means, but it's synonymous essentially with with tournaments and with trying to pick high upside lineups and differentiated lineups. Uh, Chris, how many fantasy football, not including DFS, but how many fantasy football leagues are you in usually um, a, a year? It's it's a lot. Probably in the it's probably close to a hundred, but um, for for people that. You know, think that's crazy. Um, what you guys got to remember is a lot of them are nowadays are best ball leagues, and best ball leagues are another cool new thing that I think maybe more casual fans of football players um, aren't too familiar with. But best ball leagues are the same same type of format as you were playing regularly, except you're drafting uh, about twenty rounds of players instead of the usual fifteen, and. What happens is, because of those extra players, there's just no in-season roster management. So, whatever your highest-scoring QB and your two highest-scoring running backs are, every week, those are just automatically your starting lineup. So, it's a lot easier to manage because you don't have to hit the waiver wire every, you know, every Wednesday and or, you know, set your million lineup before lineup lock. So, anybody that kind of wants to get more into fantasy but just doesn't feel like they have the bandwidth to manage all these leagues on a Sunday morning, you probably have you know a wife and kids and things to do. You check out myfantasyleague.com or or the, the draft app. Both of those things, both of those uh, sites, they will they do a best ball draft and they, they have email drafts where you know it's an eight hour clock and you know, you're on the clock and you pick whatever you want and you just by email you you are uh, they give you the link and then you pick player and then. The next person gets a notification that they're on the clock, and it's, it's really stress-free, and it's a cool way to kind of get some extra fantasy action um, without really having to do a lot of work once you're finished. Right. Um, what's your preference for DFS? How do you like to – do you like the tournaments? Do you like 50-50? Do you like, what's your preference there? I mean, I, I like the tournaments. I think the tournaments are just the most fun at this point. 50-50s and, and – games, as they're called, where you have a, a good shot at winning, you know, it's probably 50% chance at winning. Um, those are those are the bread and butter to, to kind of profit and make a small, you know, you kind of, over time, you, your profits build up. Um, but, but at the same time, I, like I said, I, I play those, but the, the tournaments are really fun because you're, in, in, in cash games, you're just kind of picking your best lineup of the week, your optimal lineup, and you're just rolling that out in a bunch of different contests. And, you know, it, it's all good and it's fun. It's fun to win money, but um, the tournaments where you really get to uh, play a bunch of different lineups and, you know, a bunch of whatever kind of contrarian out-of-the-box thoughts you have about a given week, you can put that all into play at the same time. So, you know, you know, sometimes I think back before I, I played DFS, just as a regular fantasy owner, I'd be like, oh, you know, I think, you know, this guy, this team is going to have a big game, but I, I didn't have I didn't have any of those guys on my fantasy team. There's nothing, nothing I can really do about it or act on, act on it. But now in DFS, it's, you know, if there's five teams that you think are going to have big weeks, you can make... 20 lineups with each uh, five of those five teams and stack them up and stack the quarterbacks and receivers and different defenses and different 
the running backs and whatever you want to do, you could you could just do it all. And if you hit on it right, your upside is humongous. So um, the, the tournaments are really, really fun. And I think they're the reason that a lot of people kind of gravitate to DFS. When we look at our article traffic on Fork Before, we always see people um, going, going to read those tournament articles uh, first and foremost. Right. Uh, I got to tell you, Chris, and I'm not going to make your ears bleed by continuing to talk positive about you, but you got to hear it because I believe it. There's a coach about 45 minutes from my house who's made a living winning Super Bowls on thinking outside the box. You know, I live in Massachusetts. Um, a lot of your analysis, man, it's so impressive. You look, and if I'm wrong on these, please correct me, you look at game script. You look at the impact of coaches and coaching tendencies. Talk about those things and a lot of other stuff that goes into your research. Yeah, I mean, it's all these little things that kind of really determine the outcome of the football and of what your fantasy players are going to do each week. And they're not talked about a lot, but when you start to dig into them, you find that it's not as it's not as hard. A lot of things make a lot more sense when you start digging in. So game script is essentially just this, the point just runs on the scoreboard. So, for example, a good team is leading a lot. They are they're like the Patriots, for example. They tend to be ahead in football games very often. The average NFL team, when they're ahead, they they run the ball half of the time. They throw the ball half of the time. Right. When a team is behind, they throw the ball two-thirds of the time and run the ball only one-third of the time. So just by week-to-week, you know, matchups change. You know, sometimes a team has a really good matchup, sometimes a team doesn't. And just depending on that, you can kind of get a sense of who is going to be running a lot, who is going to be passing a lot. And as I mentioned before, the, the, the betting odds makers, you know, they put out point spreads for every game. So a, a simple way to kind of gauge what a game script is going to be like. If you just check out the address, if you can go to any site, just Google it, you know, point spread. Um, I use Vegas Insider. We have a we have a, a Vegas Lions page on 4 4 you know, but there's a million of them, and you can just see. So if a, if a team is the favorite, that's, that's really the, the situation you're looking for in fantasy because when a team is the favorite, it, it, it helps their – it means that they have a good matchup, so the quarterback is usually throwing some touchdowns. And if, if the quarterback is throwing some touchdowns, that means the team, team is taking a lead. That means the running back is going to stay on schedule. The running game is going to stay on schedule. The running back will get carries in the fourth quarter. And that's why you saw a guy like LeGarrette Blunt. You know, you're from Massachusetts. LeGarrette Blunt last season, over 300 carries, 18 touchdowns mm. last season. That's more than a touchdown per game wow. because the Patriots were always winning. And yeah. so they just hand the ball off to Blunt in the second half to, to, to milk that lead. And that's, that's kind of what you're looking for for a lot of these running backs these days because a lot of teams – are using multiple running backs. They have their pass catching guy. You know, you got your James White and and your Deion Lewis's, and then you got your 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 your, your early down guys. This year, probably Mike Gillis, your Rex Burkhead, and you know other teams. You know, same thing. You know, the Redskins have Chris Thompson to play on passing downs. They have Rob Kelly as their early down guy. The Giants are gonna use Paul Perkins on the early downs, and they're gonna have Shane Vereen. In, in the pass catching role. So that's what makes guys like David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell the top fantasy picks is that they play the early downs and they play the passing downs. But a lot of those early down backs don't because they're just not that good 
at pass blocking, and that kind of goes into coaching tendencies. A lot of coaches, they're not trying to get their quarterback. You see how important pass blocking is. You know, I guess a lot of people, it might you know, if you're a casual fan, you're not really thinking about this, but look at the Super Bowl, something that everyone was talking about. What happened was Devontae Freeman was in on a play when he, he's not their best pass blocker. I think Devin Coleman might have got dinged up or something, but he was out for a play at some point, and it was the play where Matt Ryan got sacked and it knocked him out of field goal range. Uh, Freeman blew a block, a pass block on that play. Mm. Um, he's, he's a great receiver out of the backfield, not necessarily a good pass blocker. And so that's why as, as if you're a fan and you, you see your one of your favorite players just coming off the field in a certain situation, you're like, why would they ever take him off the field? It's usually for some kind of situation like that where um, just not a good pass blocker. So once you start realizing these little things, um, it, it's not – it seems like it's a lot of research, but it just kind of it kind of comes natural once you start just being aware of it, and you're, you can watch your your one o'clock, your four o'clock, your Monday night game, and you can start noticing it and noticing the different things and you know the different coaching tendencies. And some coaches really like to um, just just ride a running back. You know, Adam Gase in Miami, um, John Fox in Chicago. Those guys really like to to stick with a feature back, and that's why guys like uh, Jay Ajayi and Jordan Howard are going really high in fantasy drafts because. Opportunities, especially for running backs, they're only getting, you know, the average running back gets about four or four and a half yards per carry. That's like a half, it's less than half a fantasy point. So, you know, even there's not, there's not a lot of difference between the guys getting, you know, 3.9 yards per carry and the guys getting 4.9 yards per carry in fantasy. So you're just looking for those guys that are getting the most touches. And um, paying attention to what the coaches do is probably one of the easiest ways to figure out. Um, um, who's going to get those 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 touches and those opportunities? Yeah, man. Well said. And, and you know, I was watching Hard Knocks yesterday, and um, and I love the the fact that you look at those things, and it's like I was watching Hard Knocks, and there's a lot of players kind of like on on Tampa Bay. They were just shitting all over their kickers, whether it was um, Nick, um, um, what the heck's his name, Nick, um, Nick yeah, and, and the the kicker that they cut. The, 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 like the all-time leading scorer from Florida State, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Tampa, Tampa shits all over them, and I know a lot of people love Tampa this year. But I gotta tell you, man, that's not a good culture. Like you don't, there's no way that shit is happening at you know uh, the Patriots practice. There's no way that shit's happening at some of your better coaches around the NFL's practice. Like you know, if you were to look at the basketball equivalent, there's no way that shit goes on at the Spurs practice. So like. Talk a little bit about, you know, um, do you think culture has a lot to do with it? I mean, are you buying into the Tampa hype? I'm kind of asking you two different things here. But I, I believe it's a huge, I mean, are you buying into the, you know, uh, the coach makes the big difference here in the culture as well? Um, I think, truthfully, I think it's kind of another one of those situations where there, there's kind of a tipping point. It may be like 90% of coaches probably don't move the needle at all. And then there's probably 5% of coaches like Bill Belichick, uh, possibly like a uh, guy like Sean McVay in, in, in L.A., who one of the youngest coaches ever, uh, to get hired. You know, Andy Reid does a great job. Maybe not 5 maybe 10% of coaches that really move the needle for their teams that if there was another coach coaching that same group of players, it wouldn't be as good. And then there's, at the same time, there's probably 10% of coaches that are just not uh, very well-suited to their job to where if there was an average coach there, uh, most other coaches, their team would be a lot better. And those coaches, you know, frequently 
um, get fired after one or two seasons and end up back in coordinating jobs, back up in the booth or something like that, or position coaches. So, but yeah, I think I think I think it's a situation where you have to be really special to move the needle. It's, and it's kind of maybe not to the. I think basketball is the best example where it's all like you saw the Cleveland Cavaliers a, a couple years ago fire their coach David Blatt when they were what leading the Eastern Conference mm. and. They still went on and won the finals with with the new coach, and he was a first time coach at that. So basketball is a situation where really almost no coach moves the needle. I mean, yeah, it, it maybe I think Greg Popovich might be essentially the only one. Uh, even looking back on, I start to question how good of a coach Phil Jackson really was because as an as a as a Knicks fan, as somebody living in New York and just being exposed to really all of the Phil Jackson news and really digging into it, like. When you look at this guy's thought process, there's a lot of flaws in his thought process about basketball. I remember a couple of years ago he said a team like the Warriors would never win a three-point shooting team, and then they go on to win like, two championships. And it makes me think, and, you know, just him with the triangle and, you know, just forcing it upon his players. And it makes me think that, hey, it might have not been anything to do with Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson might have just been lucky enough to coach two of the best, if not the two best basketball players of all time. In Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and that's why we think of Phil Jackson as who he is. So I, I don't, I don't know about moving the needle. I don't know if these coaches are moving the needle for their team as much as their uh, their their tendencies and and how they like to play things are are affecting uh, their players' fantasy performances. I think, I think, I think sometimes I think the the effect of coaches on real games gets overrated, and the effect of coaches on fantasy performance counterintuitively gets a little underrated. Yeah, I mean, well said. And I have to say, you know, while you're on basketball, what are your thoughts on Brad Stevens? Oh, yeah, that's another one. I, I, I would definitely count him. You know, he obviously doesn't have the track record yet to see where you could say, hey, this guy is a Greg Popovich yet. But I was actually just talking to a friend about him saying that this guy, if there's any team that's going to challenge the Cavs now that they're all messed up and all this craziness is going on and they might lose Kyrie and whatnot. If there's any team that's going to challenge them and go to the finals, I think it'll be the Boston Celtics because Brad Stevens has already shown he can maximize that roster. Whatever mm. whatever roster he was given, I remember a couple of years ago when they snuck into the playoffs, no one really expected them to be a playoff team. And, and, and you know, they, they were very competitive. And Brad Stevens can maximize the roster. And now he's working with essentially the same roster, except, you know, you trade, you trade uh, Avery Bradley for Gordon Hayward, which I, I, I personally would have thought, you know, I like Avery Bradley as a player. I think he was very valuable to their team. If I was, if I was the Celtics front office, I would have preferred to, to, to move on from, from Marcus Smart, um, just because I, he, for as good as, as much heart as he brings and defense as he brings, he's just a poor shooter, at least he has been to this point. Um, maybe he can improve on that, but that's the player I would have tried to 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 to, to, to move on from. But it just didn't work with the with the salary cap. But you, you add Gordon Hayward, so that's still an upgrade. You know, a Hayward for Bradley swap, and then you have Tatum in there. You have all these picks ready to go. I, I really think that Brad Stevens can do a lot with this roster. Like every little inch um, better that they get in personnel is probably exponentially. Uh, beneficial to them because of how good Brad Stevens is as a head coach. Yeah, man, I, I completely agree, and and I want to be the Knicks to be good again. I'm a Celtics fan, but like I love that rivalry when it's there. <laughs> it, it. Yeah, and, but it's like 
The Knicks have one of the best big men that nobody ever talks about. Yeah, some people talk about him. Um, phenomenal player, and if, if if they could somehow get Kyrie without giving him up, I think they I, I think that would be a, obviously a huge move. The Knicks' problem, and I don't want to get too far off the fantasy football topic, but James Dolan is a lunatic. Oh man, he's he is he's the worst. Um, that's really the Knicks' problem. It starts at the top because, like I mentioned before, Phil Jackson again. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. It, you know, he's won all these championships. Great coach, very successful. Obviously flawed in his thinking as a personnel evaluator, as a kind of higher level um, executive in, in terms of what he's trying to do as a basketball team. But if, if Dolan's the guy that, that, that you know, giving him mandate, if Dolan's the guy in charge, it starts on the top. You know, it took Dolan way too long to realize that he made a mistake hiring Phil. And before that, it's just, uh, just mistake after mistake. And until he's really not in control of that team, I don't know that there can be enough improvement. Because it's really hard to get to the upper echelon in the NBA. You have to, you either have to have the best player, and you can't even have just the one best player. You have to have a, a multiple best players. And you know, I think it's interesting that if you kind of compare it to uh, Dan Gilbert in, in Cleveland, because I think he's just as bad of an owner. But mm, he just happened to luck into the fact that the best basketball player in the world was born in the same city that he owns a team in. Mm. And so even after he wrote LeBron this scathing letter the first time LeBron uh, went to went to Miami, LeBron forgave him and came back to his team to play for him because LeBron doesn't care about the owner. He cares about winning a championship for Cleveland. And so he comes back there. Um, but James Dolan just never got that lucky. Um, so... It, 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 that, that's that's kind, of, that's kind of the problem with the Knicks, and I, I, don't, I don't see much improvement until until he's not in charge. Yeah, man, you got a solid thought process, and I'm going to throw one more name into there. Tell me if I'm a lunatic for saying this to you, but I'm going to tell you, Jerry Jones is the same in a lot of ways. Um, first of all, Jason Garrett is a off he's 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 overrated as a coach. And Jones meddles too much into that team. I mean, they have a great team. I mean, they have a great offensive line. They got some great things going there. I just think he's too much of a meddler to let that, you know, Kraft, and I don't, I don't want to sound like a homer, but like Kraft knows enough to, to just stay back. I don't think Jones knows enough to stay back. Uh, yeah, I think I would have agreed with that up until a couple of years ago. I think Jones has gotten a lot smarter over these last couple of years. I'm not sure exactly what uh, is contributing to it, but there was kind of this turning point uh, around the time when when, they, uh, when he wanted to draft Johnny Manziel, I think, and, um, and and the team overruled him, and they went ahead, and I think they drafted Travis Frederick the center. I can't remember for sure, but I think it was one of those offensive linemen. And from that point on, I think Jerry Jones has kind of, because that kind of got publicized, that, oh, Jerry Jones wanted Mandel, and the Cowboys took a center, and, and it worked. So, And then I think after that, he kind of really started to smarten up. And I tweeted an article out a few weeks ago, I believe, from The Ringer, and they wrote about how the Cowboys have been doing something really interesting on defense because – if you look at it from the outside as a casual fan, you're gonna, you're gonna, if you don't watch, you know, you don't pay any attention to football in the whole offseason, but you do watch some games on Sundays. You're going to turn on your TV for the first time and see Dallas against the Giants, and you're going to see literally a whole new secondary for them, uh, except Byron Jones. Uh, and what the Cowboys are doing is they're 
prioritizing leaping ability, and they're prioritizing um, players who do really well in, in, in both of the combine jumping metrics and, and whatever not. And the reason is because the way the, uh, the current NFL is, they're not allowing uh, as much illegal contact anymore. Wide receivers are getting uh, easier times off the line now than ever before. You're, you're not allowed to, to touch them after five yards. You're really not allowed to do much to, to disrupt routes anymore. So wide receivers are essentially getting more separation than ever ever before. So to counteract that, teams have had to play a lot more zone coverage and things like that. So what the Cowboys are doing, they're saying, okay, well, we're going to accept the fact that it's going to be tough for, for our defenders and defenders in general to stay close to receivers. The receivers are just going to get more separation. But if our defenders can leap and jump and have strong um, lower legs and, 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 and kind of lower body power to where they can leap well, they can at least make up some of that ground. Mm. And I think that's actually brilliant. And so I've seen a lot of things that I like from the Cowboys, just building that building that offensive line in the first place. I mean, I, I think Jerry, you know, I think, I think he only gets to blame when, when things go wrong, but he, he's involved either way, and I think he kind of, as he's gotten older, I think something, I think a, a, a switch kind of flipped for him a little bit somewhere. I, I know there's other people involved in his gear, and, you know, he's not the main guy, but, you know, I, I think I want to be careful to just not just trash him because I think he did make a lot of mistakes, and he was very responsible for, you know, the Cowboys' failure to be successful um, for, for a long time in terms of just getting to the playoffs. But they've done a lot of things right um, in, in, upstairs, and, and, um, and, and I, you know, I think. They're willing to take some risks, too, is what I went through, what I talked about before. And, you know, a lot of people might look on from the outside and say, you know, the Cowboys, kind of look down on the Cowboys, oh, these guys are dra- um, these guys are kind of you know, drafting players who have trouble checkered pass. And, you know, they have about, what, three guys suspended right now. But the, the same way you don't take those risks on those type of guys, you also take the risks on uh, a third, fourth-round quarterback and named Dak Prescott. And, and that risk works out well. And, you know, so I think there's been a lot of things that the Cowboys have done where I would, I would agree with them. You know, as, as, a, as a Giants fan, a lifelong Giants fan, I, I would say that I don't think I've respected the Cowboys more since, since Emmett and Troy and, and Michael um, until now because I think, they're doing a lot of, I think they're doing a lot of good things now, currently. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, Chris, uh, before and after, where would you, from a fantasy, just fantasy perspective, not so much DFS, where would you have – Ezekiel Elliott before the suspension, and where do you have him after? Before before the suspension, I personally had him third behind Le'Veon. I mean, behind DJ and Le'Veon. But now, I ha- right now, third round pick, I'll take him. Yeah, I but agree. I, I, there's just a lot of uncertainty both ways. I think there's a chance that he. The, the suspension is appealed, and he just gets to play. So you got to take that into account, that he could end up playing all 16 games. Mm. You also have to take into account the fact that he might just get not play for six games. And you also can't – running backs get hurt more than any other players in, in any other position in fantasy. So you have to take that into account. By the way, you know, for all the casual fantasy players listening or the people that, you know, don't – don't really read or take too much fantasy advice, but maybe they happen to tune into this podcast. One thing, if you're doing a fantasy draft this year, remember that last year 
was a complete outlier in terms of player uh, running backs staying healthy a, a lot more than they usually do and scoring a lot more touchdowns than they usually do. And touchdowns are something that year to year very uh, volatile, fluctuates a lot. Running backs weren't getting more carries last year. The NFL continued to gravitate more and more to the pass, but just by as we know, that random statistical loss that drives us all nuts, running backs had kind of an outlier season last year, and that is likely to regress to the mean. So I think the risk with Elliott is even if he plays, even if he gets suspended for those six games, now you're looking at a situation where there's still a likelihood that he doesn't even give you those remaining seven, uh, I mean, those remaining, uh, what would it be, uh, nine games or eight games uh, in your fantasy season because, you know, there's the high risk of injury, there's the risk that. You know, with, with guys that get suspended, I always say there's always this risk that they could get suspended again. So things like that, it's, it's a tricky situation. I, the upside, I think you take them around the third. I think you, if you can, you, you just try to handcuff them with Darren McFadden, who's going usually eighth or tenth round. I mean, at that point, if you already have Ezekiel Elliott, you might as well just spend that pick on Darren McFadden for, for whatever amount of time you're going to get him as a, as a starting running, running back behind a pretty good offensive line. Yeah, and before I forget, Chris's uh, podcast is the DFS MVP podcast. I was listening today. It's got some phenomenal stuff to it. Um, you know, I love, Chris, when people walk into my my draft with, you know, information. You know, the, Matt Barry is a huge source for a lot of owners, and he's, he's a great guy. I'm not slighting him, I, I, but I feel like there's better options, and I'm talking to the best one right now. Um, you know, I feel like... Um, they all come in with the same magazines, the same apps. You know, a, a typical guy that nobody talks about and they kind of always shit on is Blake Bortles. Am I crazy to think he's a great value, especially in DFS? I mean, I feel like everyone shits on him, but he's not as bad as people make him out to be. Am I Am I intoxicated right now, Chris? <laughs> it's tough. It's tough with Bortles because it, this, is, this goes back to the coaching thing again. So the last couple of years... Blake Bortles has been a top 12 fantasy quarterback. He's been one of the better fantasy quarterbacks. But now they have a new coaching staff. They said, uh, there was a, literally a quote that came out of Jaguars camp earlier this year that said, the Jaguars want to hide Blake Bortles by running on every play. And, and so now I'm concerned because... From DFS, one thing we pay attention to a lot is what stats are predictive and, you know, what stats are simply just describing what already happened versus, you know, what, what, what is predictive of the future. And for most positions, we find that how many opportunities a player gets has gotten in the past, in the recent past, um, are, are kind of predictive in terms of what his fantasy production will be in the future. Whereas for quarterbacks, it's almost wholly reliant on efficiency. It's, it's how efficient a quarterback is. A quarterback, if a quarterback is throwing 50 passes in a game, that probably means that the team is just doing really poorly and he's just throwing a lot of incompletions and now he needs to throw to catch up. So Bortles has kind of been getting by for these last two years in fantasy by just the Jaguars were so bad. And if you look at his fantasy production, it's very disproportionately skewed to the fourth quarter. So my concern with Bortles this year is that if they're really going to switch to a run-first kind of attack, and as I mentioned, Vegas odds and the odds makers 
they're, they're as good as anybody at kind of prognosticating just, just what's going to happen in these games. And they've actually given the, the over-under for Jaguars wins this season is six and a half. And that might sound low until you realize that the Jaguars have won a three and a half, three to four games a year uh, over the past, you know, over Gordo's career. So if the Jaguars get better and they really want to run the ball like they say they do, then I don't know if Bortles is, is good enough yet to, to overcome that and to be that efficient guy um, to where he's going to be a fantasy value. Um, but if we see things kind of go off the rails again in Jacksonville, I, I saw a letter for Nat. He's, he's got a little injury situation going on. I don't think he's going to play in, in Thursday's preseason game. So if for Nat were to get hurt, there are other running backs on the roster. I mean, they actually have this guy, Corey Grant, who probably no one ever has ever heard of, but I think he's actually really good. He had about 120 yard long touchdown run in the last week of the season last year, and then another long run in the first game of the preseason this year. But uh, if things start to go off the rails in Jacksonville, I think that's when you have to start looking at Boros. But if they're going to play this kind of pace down, keep it close, the defense should be better. I think I think I'll be looking at kind of late round quarterbacks like. Maybe a Carson Palmer, you know, somebody who we know um, has that that upside. Somebody who we know has that aggressive-minded coach in Bruce Arians that that has no trouble letting him go deep. So that's the kind of quarterback that I'm probably looking at, you know, it, 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 for cheap in DFS or as kind of a late-round uh, pick in 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 fantasy leagues. Yeah, and you talked about that six and a half, uh, and we were at the six and a half win total on Jacksonville. We were, I was in Vegas last week, and if you want to bet the over on that to win a hundred dollars, you got to put up like one sixty, I think, or one seventy to win a hundred. So the the the, uh-huh. the trend is, I think, a lot of people think they might go over, but you know who the hell knows when it comes to gambling like that. Yeah, I, that's that's why I don't really mess with Vegas, and that's why I enjoy daily fantasy because in daily fantasy you're playing against other people who, if you're if you're willing to even put in a little a little research, you're probably going to be more educated than a lot of other people play because a lot of people play daily fantasy just because it's, it's a lot of fun. So a lot of people do zero research; they just they're about to watch, you know, their their Sunday night game or their Monday night game, and they, they log on to their app and they throw they throw some lineups in there just because it's fun. Mm. And if, if you're playing seriously and you're doing the research and, and just a little bit of research, spending a, maybe even an hour a week or something like that, you can really uh, kind of make profit on these on these players. So, but Vegas, on the other hand, that six and a half is meant to be the most likely outcome. It's, it's supposed to be like smack dab in the middle to where over the long run, if, if you play 100 seasons, 100 simulations of the 2017 season, maybe the Jaguars would win 10 games in some, and maybe they'd win two games in others. But uh, over over those 100, there they would be expected to average out to 6.5, and that's how Vegas makes their money. They are, they are, put, they are putting a lot of time into these very um, precise algorithms and models that kind of find that midpoint to where the, by them taking that rake, um, people paying a little bit uh, to, in to win some money, they, over time, they have, Vegas is going to prop and it's really hard to, hard to outdo them. So, yeah, it's really tough to bet on those on those win totals, but it's something to note for fantasy. And even for your regular fantasy week, you know, those favorite underdogs, those spreads every week, um, they also put out an over-under for a game. So you combine the spread and the over-under. Like, let's say the Patriots have a, a seven-point, uh, their seven-point favorite with a 50 over-under. You know, that's, uh, the Patriots will be expected to score about 28, 
20, 20 and a half points or so, you know, you can do that for every team, and that's kind of how you can make your fantasy decisions. Like, most players, wide receivers are really the only position that is unaffected or, or, or that the, the spreads aren't as predictive for. And even them, they're, they're predicted to the level that as, that as that team projected total goes up, wide receiver production goes up. But when you talk about quarterbacks, running backs, kickers, defenses, which a lot of people think aren't predictable at all, those positions, if you just stick to favorites, never play, a, even a Bronco. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put out an article on that's gonna be the Daily Fantasy Playbook uh, defense edition. It's gonna be out a little later in the month. But I talk about the Broncos, one of the best defenses. When they go on the road or they, or they weren't a favorite, they they perform like a, a below average fantasy defense. So you know people people in fantasy they tend to want to draft these these good defenses so they feel comfortable. Seattle was like a middle of the pack fantasy defense last year. What you have to do in fantasy when you're drafting is draft your defense for week one. Draft your kicker for week one. Whoever has the best matchup, take those guys and then worry about week two once week one is over. There's always going to be a surplus of kickers and defenses on the on the waiver wire if you're in a 10 or a 12 or even a 14. Any size week because there's 32, there's 32 teams in the NFL. So there's always going to be one uh, floating around with a decent matchup that's at home that's a favorite. And you just play those guys, and that can really just improve your fantasy team and give them that little extra boost. And it's something that most people don't do. They're just, they have like that defense every week, regardless. And you know, people drafting the Chiefs defense, like think of number one, two, or three, and they're playing the Patriots in week one. So it's like you don't want to play in then, or or guy, or, you know, people don't use their benches enough early in the year. I think I think there's this thing about start your studs or whatnot, and I, I think that's completely wrong. Even the best fantasy players probably put up an above-average score, hardly hardly any of them do even 50% of the time. So you want to really just play these matchups. And using those betting odds is one of the best tools because the betting odds, they have incentive. They have skin in the game. Their, their whole industry depends on them being as accurate as possible with these betting lines to where they are not losing money by putting out a soft line that, that sharks that are putting research into it can really just kill them on. So... Um, those Vegas lines really helpful for daily fantasy, really helpful for, for regular fantasy. Yeah, man, well said. Um, let me ask you, uh, true or false, you've seen every play of every game since 2010. Yeah, man, I love watching football. That NFL, once, I, once I discovered that NFL, I think they call it Game Pass now, it's called Rewind, but it's essentially um, their package where you can watch the games, the, the games anytime you want. They have, they have an option where you can just watch the condensed game, so it's just play, 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 no, no no, downtime between the plays. It's just, you know, once they show one play, once that play's over, they show the next play. You can watch the whole game in, you know, just about a half hour or so. So I, I love to watch it and just see the players, and I think that really helps to um, just to see all the different players and kind of, you know, as, as much, as, much um, as I do research and look into the stats, you know, when you see something right in front of your eyes a lot of times, it can tell you things that, that the stats either don't tell you or something that you might have to have done, maybe even hours of research to figure out. You just watch and you see it right in front of your eyes, and it just crystallizes, and, and, and you know exactly what's going on. Chris, let me ask you. So I've been doing the fantasy thing for a while. I know you have too. Talk to me about. Say, if I was a rookie owner and I've never played it before, and I said to you, "What do I need to know?" You know, twelve man. You know, league. Um, you know, uh, one point per. You know, ten yards reception. You know, one quarterback. Just to give you kind of a outskirts. 
well, what do I have to know as a as a rookie owner in my first fantasy football draft? What would you, what would you want to tell a friend that you had going into a draft like that? I would say a bigger thing is just find some uh, find find some good some good rankings and just and just draft up them and just wait wait on your quarterback and wait on your tight end and just take if you take a running back and wide receivers and if you're if you're playing in a league where they don't allow, uh, award one point per reception where it's, it's just called standard league you get you get points for touchdowns and you get points for yardage that's it yeah. take players on good teams. Because these touchdowns are very difficult to predict. So what happens is in these rankings, um, in the, and that's another thing I would tell everybody. There's going to be a ranking on the site, like the list of players as you're drafting. Never only use that order to, 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 to kind of look at what, what who other people might draft. Well like, said. You should never be drafting off that order because that order can sometimes be very bad and very wrong, and it'll make you just have a very average because you'd be drafting. It's just the average draft position. Of, like if you're playing on ESPN, it would just be the average draft position of everyone drafting on ESPN. So you don't want that. Just find, go to a four for four or, or, or a site like us. Just, just, just get our rankings. We have them. Which you can customize them to any league, any position type, whatever. Or, or get some rankings for wherever you want, and, and just use those rankings. And just draft running back, wide receivers because there's always going to be quarterback, and they're very matchup dependent. And you do always have to find someone for free on waiver wire. You can pick up a quarterback and a good man. So, and they're very matchup dependent. You want to play them at home and as favorite, home favorite. You know, throughout the season, don't be afraid to just draft uh, draft guys and, and switch your lineup around from week to week. You don't have to start the, the first, you know, the starting lineup that you drafted even in week one. Um, you know, just, just, and just let everyone else make mistakes because running backs and receivers, you just want those lottery tickets. Um, maybe not every one of them hits, but a lot of them will. And they'll also be trade chips. So if you want that, that stud quarterback like that Drew Brees or that Aaron Rodgers, maybe down the road, if you have a bunch of running backs and wide receivers, um, that you don't need, somebody's going to trade for you because they're going to be desperate. And, and, and then you can get that quarterback that you wanted the whole time anyway. So I would just say just draft running backs and wide receivers. And let the quarterbacks and the tight end um, take care of themselves. You're always going to find players with good matchups throughout the season. Chris, you've been a fountain of information. You've been with me for an hour. Do you mind if I ask you a few more questions? Sure, no problem. Okay, so let me ask you: Does fantasy sports ruin um, cheering for your favorite team? I don't think it ruins it. No, I think it, it just makes it really makes sports a lot more fun. Honestly, and I think that's that's the same. This is, that's essentially why I love daily fantasy so much because. The more players that you care about, the more fun sports becomes in general. I think uh, fantasy sports is about players. And then mm. your team is going to be your team no matter what. Like, I'm always rooting for the Giants, no matter what, first and foremost. But now, it's I, I just, I care, I know about all the players, and I care about all, all the players. And I, it, it just, I get to enjoy the league in, in a way that I don't think I would if, if I did it, it just I have so much more invested in it. It's just a lot more interesting. Um, and I also play a lot of daily fantasy NBA. And I think that really has made me enjoy the NBA a lot more and made me notice just a, and appreciate a lot of the little nuances of the NBA as well. So I think if, you, if you're just even a mildly interested in sports to where you do sit down from time to time and turn on a game, try out daily fantasy or, or try out joining a fantasy. It really 
makes things a lot more interesting. I think it, it, it's it's probably the thing more than anything. I think as we get more and more into this technology age and this age of where you can't hold people's attention span, it's really impressive that sports, live sports, draws such a wide audience that it, it's still something that people will kind of take time out of their day, even though there's commercials and whatnot, to sit down and watch. And I think I think sports is really cool. And then when you, when you, when you add that fantasy aspect or that daily fantasy aspect into it, it just becomes one of the coolest things. Um, that you can do, and you can, you know, as a hobby, or even even if you want to make some serious money, um, it's, it's it's really a lot of fun. Chris, give me some breakout guys this year. Breakout guys. So, I mean, how deep are we going? Like, you know, double digit rounds? Or are we going more kind of like those middle round sleeper guys? Or how deep are we going here? So let's 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 do this this way. Let's say. Names that keep circulating in your head. I don't. I don't care. Like I'm not. The depth thing doesn't bother me. Tell me names that keep circulating in your mind that you really love this year. That a lot of people might be overlooking. Could be really deep. Could be middle rounds deep. Could be somebody that everyone's planning on taking in the. You know. Um, I don't know. Wherever. What are those names that you really are falling in love with this year? Well. It- I think they're, again, good teams. You always want, there's only a few quarterbacks in this league that are really, really good and that throw a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. And it doesn't, the receivers almost don't matter. So there's a few guys that, when you look at throughout a fantasy draft, that maybe they, they, they've been maybe a second or third option in the past, and you know, they, or maybe they just kind of had a, an average year last year, and they're kind of just they, they're getting taken, but no one's really they're getting taken kind of just in these spots that aren't really sexy. What I think is Willie Sneed of the New Orleans Saints. You have Brandon Cooks now in New England, and you know, people are jumping all over him, but. In fantasy, you always want the value, and in those early rounds, you want to avoid guys, you know, with the with the low floor. So while Cooks has a, a super high ceiling, you know, Brandon Cooks, a very fast player, getting 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 uh, catching passes from Tom Brady, he also has a, a floor that's a little lower than some other players going that high. For, for one, we don't know that Brandon Cooks is, is you know, his, his, his him playing outdoors. Um, he hasn't played as well, so. So a guy like that, you know, I might be avoiding, but then a guy like Willie Sneed, you know, you get him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round of draft, he'll be the number two receiver on the scene. He had maybe four or five touchdowns last year, but he's, he's had, he has an above-average career red zone touchdown conversion rate. So catch passes from Drew Brees, I mean, you're looking at a guy that can easily go over 1,000 yards, easily get eight, eight to ten touchdowns, and people are sleeping on him. Then you got Randall Cobb for the Packers. He's going in like the, the eighth, ninth round in a lot of drafts. And, you know, I think, again, Aaron Rodgers throws 35, 40 touchdowns regularly. Randall Cobb already had a 12-touchdown season, um, banged up last year, but could easily retake those number two wide receiver duties. And I think when you're in those middle to low part of the draft, now you're looking at upside because a lot of players are going to kind of have the same downside. So now you're looking at upside. So now you want these players, these receivers on teams with quarterbacks that are going to throw a lot of touchdowns because, you know, you, let, you just kind of let the, the, the luck work in your favor, you know. Maybe right now you have Randall Pop projected as the third option on the Packers and, you know, uh, but, but you know, he could always catch touchdowns. Um, let's say Jordy Nelson misses a game here or there. Let's say Devontae Adams misses a game here or there. Then you have, you know, Cobb, Cobb 
receiver last year. He's going in the eighth, ninth round of draft. And, you know, he's Philip Rivers. We know Philip Rivers is going to probably throw around 30 touchdowns and push for 4,500 yards or more. And, you know, the, the Chargers' number one draft pick, Mike Williams, another wide receiver, he's going to be out till October. And, you know, even when he comes back, he didn't practice. He hasn't been able to practice with Phillip Rivers. They're not just going to throw him in the game and, and pinch Tyrell Williams. So, you know, guys like that. Then another guy, Antonio Gates. I mean, totally unsexy pick, but sometimes doesn't even get drafted. This is why you don't draft a tight end early. Antonio Gates played more snaps, a higher percentage of snaps last year with Hunter in Hunter Henry's first year than he played the year before. He played more snaps down the stretch of last year, even with Henry active than he, than, um, than he did earlier in the year. So they've shown, they've, the Chargers have shown no sign of kind of uh, letting Henry go usurps uh, Gates. So I think you take him, Martellus Bennett, the tight end of the package. You just take these receivers on these good teams. Another guy that's really interesting that maybe uh, the people haven't even heard of, but Duke Johnson on the, on the Cleveland Browns. Now he's a pick, especially if you're in a PPR league, I think, you know, he's going in the 10th round or later. He's a guy that he might not pan out at all, but something really interesting is happening with him. They are playing him at wide receiver in addition to running back. So he kind of has that similar to Ty Montgomery um, on the Packers last year where, you know, he can play wide receiver, he can wide in the slot, they're going to use him up some running plays. So he's, he's in a situation where, he could have a pretty interesting role on a team that, you know, doesn't have really a standout guy that's just going to take up all of the targets or something like that. So, and then if, if they're starting running back, Isaiah Crowell goes down, you're looking at a, a pretty much a similar um, Ty Montgomery situation. So, it really just comes down to those kind of players when you're in those, in those, in those middle to late rounds. Um, and, and, then, and then when you're going really, really late, maybe a guy like Robbie Anderson of the Jets, which is kind of the complete opposite, but he's going, you can literally get him with the last pick. So the reason you take him isn't for that, that touchdown upside. You take him because he could be the number one wide receiver on a team and you're getting him pretty much for free. So that's when you take a shot at guys like that. But in those middle rounds, I think you just might seriously running back. If, he, if he's, I know he's had some hamstring issues in camp, but if he, they want him to be the starting running back, and he's going to be in that Ladarrick Blunt role, maybe not as many carries as Blunt had last year, but the Patriots' power back role, that Stephen Ridley, that Ladarrick Blunt kind of role, has produced uh, 10, 10 more touchdowns in, in four of the last five seasons. The Patriots get into the into the 10-yard line, the opponent's 10-yard line, um, more than pretty much any team in football. They've been top four in plays run inside the 10-yard line. Um, for, for each of the past five seasons. So that's a guy easily has 10 touchdown upside. And, 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 if, and if anything goes wrong, you can also handcuff him with Rex Burkhead, who's another guy that you can pretty much get for free. And if you have a Gillisley Burkhead combination in your backfield, standard or PPR, you're going to have access to a lot of touchdowns because James White, he's going to be the passing that's back. He's got a very specific role as that, that sub back, that passing down back. But I expect White, you know, he's a very valuable part of the Patriots, but I expect him to be difficult to predict um, on a week-to-week basis. So that's not something you really want. And I also expect him to see a little bit of a decrease in targets because I think he got, he got, he got a lot of targets last year because the Patriots are just kind of down to just him and Edelman at some point. Bennett was banged up. Gronkowski was out. A lot of things. Now they have a lot of people healthy. They added Dwayne Allen. They got Grant Cooks, who we talked about. So... 
Um, when, when, when in Dallas, just draft players on good offenses and let that touchdown luck work in your favor. It won't always work, but you don't need it to always work. You just, you just need to have access to those touchdowns, and it's going to be those players on those good teams that are going to uh, give you exposure uh, to those kind of touchdowns. Phil Rivers, that's another guy. I mean, I don't even think he's getting drafted in the top 12 quarterback. He has all these weapons on his team. Um, you know, we know he has that upside for 35 touchdowns and, 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 and a lot of yardage every game. So, you know, that's a guy, wait on quarterback. Everyone, you know, somebody's taking Aaron Rodgers in the second round, Tom Brady in the second round, Andrew Luck in the fourth. Just take Phillip Rivers, you know, down there in the double-digit rounds and, 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 and stock up on those running backs and wide receivers because you're going to need them. Mm. Wow. Uh, Chris, give me a bust. Give me some, you, you hinted earlier Adrian Peterson last year. Uh, give me a guy that you or, or a couple guys you think are going to hit the wall this year. You know, I think I think it's not it's not necessarily that I think a guy is going to straight up hit the wall. As I think you have to just there's there's like we talked about there's floor, and I think excuse me, you just have to acknowledge that certain players have floors that are lower than other players getting drafted around them. So a guy like Carlos Hyde is kind of still just going in that. Fourth round is, is essentially the same player with last year, and yeah, he might start and everything might be great, but he's all, there's also a chance that his coach and, and really doesn't believe in him, and or doesn't see him as a fit for the scheme. They drafted a running back in, in Joe Williams, and you know, when Kyle Shanahan took the took the job as Atlanta coordinator, Devontae Freeman was on that team, but in, in, in Kyle Shanahan's first game. He used the guy that he drafted, Kevin Coleman, for 20 carries, and Freeman got 13. And then it was only once Coleman got hurt a week later that Freeman took off. So he had Devontae Freeman, one of the best running backs in the league that we now know, on his team and still bench, kind of not bench him, but kind of put him in his committee as a 1B to, to a rookie. So a um, guy like that, I think Julian Edelman is another guy. I think he's going a little too high in draft, even in PPR league, because Edelman is a guy where it's, it, it might sound a little contradictory to what I said earlier, but just looking at the signs, um, Edelman has always succeeded in fantasy because he has just got an outrageous amount of targets from Tom Brady. Every single year, he's around 10 targets per game. This is the first season in which I think that number might go down because, and I think Belichick is somebody I study often, and I, I, I think a lot of things Belichick do, does make a lot more sense than sometimes people kind of think of him as just enigma and he's just always thinking ahead and no one knows what he's doing. But uh, Julian Edelman had one of the most inefficient seasons um, last year just from a, a yards per target perspective and whatnot. Um, he's turning, he, he's, he's on the wrong side of 30 now. And I think he's just slowing down a little bit. I know he made that great catch in the Super Bowl, but just overall, over a long season, I think Belichick kind of wants to take some of the pressure off Edelman. Edelman was essentially operating like a true number one receiver. He, was lying. he wasn't just a flat guy. He was lying about why. He was going deep, and he did it well, but um, overall, he wasn't as efficient as he usually is, and I think it's no coincidence that they went out and signed Brandon Cook uh, after that happened. So, uh, Edelman's a guy that I think people are still looking at him as if he's a guy that's going to uh, just do what he does every year, and I think I think he, he, might, he might be a little bit um, disappointing kind of down there. I think Kevin Coleman is a guy where going in the sixth round, I know he's in kind of a committee and he probably gets more 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 opportunities than most quote-unquote backup running backs, but he's still being valued uh, because of those 11 touchdowns, which are really, really unlikely. 
likely to repeat, even if he increases the amount of carries and, and catches he gets. If you look at players who have scored that many touchdowns on, on that few amount of opportunities in the past, their, their touchdown rate more than cuts in half the next season. It's just inevitable regression to the mean. So Tevin Coleman's a guy, as much as good of a player as he is, I think where he's going in that sixth round is still a little uh, too early for him to be going. I think even a guy like uh, Cam Newton is probably getting overdrafted again. You can always wait on these quarterbacks, and Cam Newton averages more than double the amount of fantasy points when he rushes than he does when he throws. So even if Cam Newton throws it better than ever this season and you know he throws it to McCaffrey and maybe Curtis Samuel gets involved, if Cam Newton is going to lose rushing uh, volume and carries and whatnot, which they say he is. I mean, he said he's going to keep running, but last year he already had the lowest amount of carries per game of his career and the lowest yards per carry of his career. So, again, when you look at these coaches and you see what they're doing, they, 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 the Panthers drafted in the first two rounds two players to, to kind of take the pressure off Cam that he can throw, just dump the ball and let them do some of the work. So, I think that's the guy that, you know, he could have a big season, but just where he's going in the draft, you just you just always can stock up on those running backs and wide receivers, and you're always going to get a good quarterback. There's very little separation between the quarterbacks and fantasy scoring. Just just how it works. It's hard to it's hard to um, to differentiate yourself when you're only getting four points for a passing touchdown. You're only getting a point every 25 yards. So um, again, guys like that, you know, just kind of be careful when you, when you drafted them, and just kind of stock up on those wide receivers, those running backs, players on, on a good team, running backs that have a chance to, to kind of be that three-down back, not just not just the early-down guy and uh, things like that. Uh, let me ask you, is there a guy that you draft, whether it's DFS or, you know, your fantasy leagues, that always lets you down? So, like, for me, that asshole was Vincent Jackson for about, I don't know, every time I drafted him, he did nothing. Is there a guy that you you get sucked into? You say, you know what? I'm taking him this year, and he winds up on your team over and over again, and he just drops the ball literally every freaking time. Not so much in regular fantasy leagues. Um, that's I, it's like it's not just because I do so much research that it's, it's usually not a situation where I'm just kind of banging my head on the wall. But in DFS, it's it can happen because you're just you're trying to predict what a guy is going to do in one day. So a guy like Amari Cooper, for example, which you know he, he he's pretty good fantasy receiver, but he just has these these games where he just he just doesn't score touchdowns, and he's just very bad in the red zone. I think he's, he's caught two touchdowns on twenty career red zone targets. So a guy like Amari Cooper is you know have a great matchup, and he might even get get decent yardage, but just has a lot of trouble getting the ball into the end zone. Yeah. Um, are, are any of your drafts in person, uh, Chris? In other words, are you showing up to, like, you know, where they have all the snacks out, or are they all kind of, like, online? Are any of them in-person drafts? Yeah, no, it's mostly online at this point. Uh, every once in a while, you know, I'll get together with the four for four guys. We usually do a little um, retreat. Uh, I think we did one in Mexico last year, and we did. We just kind of were doing, like, mock drafts in February and things like that. But, yeah, at this point, everything's mostly online. Um, I, I'm kind of... Never really been a part, honestly, of too many. Maybe, maybe just a, a few like, kind of family drafts. But by, by the time I was like, you know, playing fantasy with a bunch of people, it was just you know high school and those Yahoo weeks. Um, and before that, it was just like maybe me and my dad or something playing like our little own two man fantasy league. But um, the 
never really, never really did much of that live drafting thing. Um, where did you post them? <laughs> Chris, what's the worst kind of fantasy player to have at a draft? In other words, not at a draft, I guess. Let me rephrase that. To have drafting. So in other words, what kind of behavior is like the worst? So in other words, say if you're in my league, we're doing an, just say online draft. What's the worst type of owner? Like what's the kind of owner that just seeps under your skin and it drives you insane? nice enough to stay. I got one last question for you. Chris, is there a situation or teams to stay away from wholeheartedly? Is there some, do you recommend like a, a team or a players that just, just don't even go near them? I mean, um, I guess I'm probably talking earlier than later, but is there a situation that screams caution to you? Um, 
um, not in a position to succeed. Tyrod Taylor, in his career, with Sammy Watkins, 8.8 yards per attempt. Without Sammy Watkins, 6.3. Wow, wow. I, yeah, I, I'm really kind of shying away from Buffalo. And, and I was I, I, I was a lot higher on McCoy earlier. But I think even McCoy is a guy where, at this point, I'm kind of saying, I'll, I'll just go in a different direction at that part of the draft. Give me, give me an A.J. Green or a Mike Evans or a Jordy Nelson or a Michael Thomas or somebody like that. And if I'm, and if I'm picking a little later, he'll probably already be gone. But, I, you know, I'm, at this point, I might just take a younger, healthier back in a, in a situation that, that's looking up rather than this situation. Uh, you know, McCoy had 14 touchdowns last year, um, but in three of the last five years, he's had five touchdowns exactly. So another guy where, you know, outlier season that could, the regression could hit, it could go the other way. You know, the yards per carry is probably going to go down. The touchdowns are probably going to go down. So uh, that Buffalo offense worries me, worries me a little bit. It's not really an offense I'm, I want to invest um, too much. And I, I don't know how Tyrod Taylor um, is going is gonna to succeed this year unless that coaching staff is really good at, at, at changing somebody in one offseason, which usually is not the case, though. Um, Buffalo, that's a team where I'm, I'm staying away from. Yeah, and I got to say, that whole division seems to be punting. Why the hell Jay Cutler's still in the NFL is beyond me. And then the Jets, I mean, the whole, the whole, the whole division seems to be punting. I think the Dolphins will be all right, honestly. I, I think Adam Case is a guy, he's a coach. I, he knows he, he knows what he's doing. So mm. I, I think the reason he got Cutler is because Cutler is competent at least. He's a veteran, and he had his best season with Adam Gates. So I think the Dolphins will be all right. I think they have a good they have good players uh, uh, kind of spread around. It would obviously have been more ideal if they had Tannehill, but I would be highly surprised if the Dolphins um, aren't contending for at least a wild card because. Like you said, they're playing. They're gonna play the Jets and Bills four times a year. They should win all four of those games. Right. So I think the Dolphins will be all right. I think the Jets and Bills will be pretty bad. The Patriots probably another cakewalk to a fourteen plus win season for them. Uh, so, but I'll be I'll be I'll be watching the Dolphins. I, I, I have some trust in Adam Gates. I think the same thing. I think the Rams are a team that I'm, I'm kind of looking at. You know, I think you know some of these some of these coaches, these young coaches. I think they're. They're a lot more competent than we give them credit for. Um, and, and I think there's always going to be this kind of regression. So I'm looking at that. I think I like Todd Gurley. He's a fantasy pick, and a lot of people have been asking me about him. I, I do like him. I do think he'll rebound. We already know, you know, that's a good example of ceiling and floor. We saw a ceiling in year one. We see a floor in year two. I think with a better offensive line, he'll be much improved and kind of give you give you that value you're looking for at that, at that part of the draft where, where he's going. Yeah, I heard you talking about the Rams. I kind of agree with that. And, and let me throw four names at you, Chris, and, and rate them best to worst. Not best to worst. That's terrible. Um, best to best because they're all awesome. Evans, Beckham, Jones, and Green. What was the second one you said? Evans, Evans, uh, Evans Beckham, Jones, Julio Jones, and A.J. Green. How would you rate those four best to, I guess, least best because they're all awesome? Now, are we talking in fantasy or just as overall NFL uh, uh, receivers? Let's go with PPR. Fantasy. Um, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, um, AJ Green, and Mike Evans. Chris Rabin, you've been one hell of a guest. I can listen to you talk fantasy football forever. Uh, Chris, is there anything you want to promote before I close out? 
Uh, yeah, guys, just follow me on Twitter, at Chris Raybon. Um, check out 4for4.com if you're in the fantasy show. Um, and check out the DFS MVP podcast if you uh, want to hear some, you talk some more football. Yeah, this man is a fountain of information. He thinks outside the box. He's everything you want before you go into a draft, before you draft that, you know, that DFS team. Give this guy a shot. He is Chris Raven. He said DFS MVP podcast, DFS MVP podcast, author of the DFS playbook. He's a senior editor at 4 for 4. Now going to write for Sports Illustrated with 4 for 4. Chris Thank you so much for giving me your time. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh, no doubt. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yo, Chuck, what's the move, man? I was on my way up here to the studio, you know what I'm saying? And this brother stopped me and asked me, yo, what's up with that brother, Chucky D? He swear he nice. I said, yo, the brother don't swear he nice. He knows he's nice, you know what I'm saying? So, Chuck, I got a feeling you're turning into a public enemy, man. Now, remember that line you was kicking to me on the way out to L.A. Lounge in Queens while we was in the car on our way to the shop? Well, yo, right now, kick the bass for them brothers and let them know what goes on. Rolling stones in the rap game, not bragging. Look bigger than Jagger, not sagging. This brother backwards, I'm going to leave it at that. That ain't got nothing to do with rap. Check the facts, expose those cats. Who poses heroes, take advantage of blacks. The government's gags so cut the crap. A war going on, so where y'all at? Fake responsibility after police. Who's stopping you from killing me? This ass is fiasco's a loop by PE. If it's I instead of we believe in TV. Spreading rich adventures, this new thing about snitches. Watch the masses move as the masses switches. System distant, but barely missed her. My soul intention to save my brothers and sisters. Get up. So 20 years later, of course it does while consciousness faded. New generations believe in them fables. Gangster pokey on two turntables. So no love, so it's easy to hate it. Desecrated while the current awaited. Any given Sunday, so where y'all raining? With slavery lynching and them drugs infiltrated. I'm like that doll Chucky, baby. Keep coming back to live love life like I'm crazy. Keep it moving, rising to the top. Duck first, clean living, you don't stop. Revolution means change, don't look at me strange. So I can't repeat what other rappers be saying. If you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. Harder than you think is a beautiful thing.
and show no fear. Get up if y'all really care. Need 20 years, now get up. Public enemy number one in New York. Public enemy number one in Philly. Public enemy number one in D.C. Public enemy number one in Cleveland, Ohio. All go with public enemy number one in St. Louis. Public enemy number one in New Jersey. And fuss it. We all go public enemy number one in Cincinnati.